0: We'll be verse 8 and let's read it Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months so again just a reminder he's in Ephesus this is his missions he's traveling he's also got traveling companions which we're going to see something about his traveling companions you know here but he is in Ephesus this is his second time his return to Ephesus where he wants to spend some time to really stay and establish the church so he's going to do some significant work in Ephesus It it begins with three months in the synagogue. Now, if you remember his encounters in Corinth, how he started in the synagogue, but then he got frustrated and said, you're a bunch of stiff-necked people. I'm out of here. I'm done with you. And and then he met at home. Well, the same thing's going to happen here in Ephesus, basically. So he spends three months in the synagogue, basically fighting a, a, a... a fight that can't be fought, <laughs> you know, as you say, running an uh, an uphill battle, or you know, feeling like you're banging your head up against the wall, arguing with stop signs, you know, the feeling you might, Paul might be getting trying to persuade the unpersuadables. But he was arguing, you know, his argument was sound. He was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them, you know, became obstinate. And we know what obstinate means. It's, it's hardening, hardened in the heart. It's kind of the concept I think about when um, I think of hardening a heart. I think of the classic story of, of Pharaoh in Egypt. How when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, you know, God said, let my people go. You know, it seems like at first he was kind of entertaining the idea of letting people go. Like, you know, is this the right thing to do? But he got to the point where he, he hardened his heart and he says, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I don't care what God does and what Moses does. I'm not going to do it. I, need, I want these people. And so it didn't even become an issue of what was right to wrong. It became an issue of this is what I want and I'm not changing. And that's the concept of hardening of the heart. It's not a matter, an issue of what's rational or irrational, what's right or what's wrong. It has to do with me not wanting to change me. And that's kind of what happened here is people are like, no. Another word we might use is stubborn. So they refused to believe, and then they publicly maligned the way, uh, speaking evil. Or abuse of words. So it became a public issue. Where they would go out. And they say you hear these people. These Paul and his people. And the cool thing is. is, is At this point uh, the church. This is, I think, the first official church name. Like, you know, we call ourselves Cornerstone, for instance, just to distinguish, you know, who we are as a group of people. In the church, they call themselves The Way. It's kind of cool. The Way. I like that. And actually, this word, this name for the church in Ephesus, The Way, you know, it's actually quite fitting. And we're going to see why in a moment. And just to kind of throw a little bit out there, when you think of The Way, what does that, what does that mean, The Way. Well, isn't that what Jesus said he was? He was, it's kind of like how we use cornerstone. That's one of the attributes. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? He's the principal building foundation block of what we want to do. And so the cool thing is that's kind of very similar to what the way is. The way, Jesus also said he is the way the truth, and the life. There's no other way, there's no other way to God. So that's really cool how they use that scripture and, they, and identify themselves, you know, with it. It's, it's a cool name. I'm kind of jealous that I didn't think of, we didn't think of it, you know what I mean? Uh, is it too late to change from Cornerstone to The Way? I like Cornerstone. I do too. But, and I'm sure there's other churches out there called The Way. But that's kind of what's going on here. And so Paul, um, he left the synagogue again, he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. Now there's not much known about this school; we don't know if it's a medical school if it's a philosophical school, being that it's in you know the the grecia Roman world they probably dealt with a lot of science and or what we would call now back then you know Philosophy anyways, natural philosophy is what they would refer to it more in the Middle Ages. But, 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 but philosophy, thinking, debating, arguing, um, investigating. It was a school. It was a lecture hall here, this, this tyrannous guy. And again, a lot, of this, a lot of my research came about with, with speculation. We don't know, but, and the, but the point I wanted to, to make here is interesting. Is that they kind of do what we did. They went, rented a space. Though know, he wasn't a he wasn't a supporter of Tyrannius. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't teaching curriculum at the school of Tyrrhenius. No, he was preaching the word of God, but he was using the lecture hall at this community. So it's very similar to what we're doing. You know, we're not we're loosely associated with the council, but we don't represent the council, and the council don't represent us. We rent a room so we can meet and preach the word and, and you know freely. That's kind of what happened here with Paul. They, they the the, the the, the restrictions that they met with the synagogue people they loosened themselves and they met with the, at this hall meeting hall here with uh, the school of Tyrenius and they were freely able and it was successful. it was good. So verse ten they went through this for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the providence of Asia heard the word of God. It was so efficient that in two years, everyone in the, not just in, in the city of, of Asia, but the whole providence of Asia, which is basically Western Turkey today. The whole huge area, this huge area of people, uh, don't, it doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek or whatever. the People were hearing the, the, the works, the word of God. So it was a wonderful, miraculous thing. And just to put this in context, we learned last week how the Holy Spirit was moving. People were being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was doing some awesome, miraculous things. Even some bizarre things, as the next slide will show us. And sometimes God does do some wonderful things that are just simply wonderfully weird as well. And one of the things, and this is one of the things that I think a lot of churches and a lot of um, hyper charismatic types kind of hang their coats on a little bit too firmly. This little instance, this little miraculous token that we see here. Um, But look, let's look at it really quickly. So God did extraordinary, miraculous things. And a lot of this is to prove the work of Paul in in a quick, efficient way. So that even his handkerchiefs and a- aprons that had touched him came in contact with Paul. They were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now this seems really bizarre. How could it be that handkerchiefs or aprons cure a person? Now that sounds like, in fact, it sounds counter. To what Christianity is all about. Because in in just a few moments. We're going to see people bring in their spell books. And their magical. You know items. That are supposed to be. You know magical healing. And they're going to burn them on fire. So is this not just the same thing? Is it just magical items. That are healing people? Well let's make it very clear. That it's not the handkerchief. That is healing anyone. In fact it's not even Paul coming in contact with these handkerchiefs that's healing people. It's God that's healing people. The problem is, is, is God doesn't want us, and this, come on, this is back to Old Testament times. God doesn't want us to make idols. So if I came here with a box full of handkerchiefs that i blow my nose on, saying that, you know, if you give them to your aunties and uncles, and they're going to be healed, and, and, and certainly if I try to make a profit, which some people have done, well, shame on me. Okay, that's just wrong in, in many ways, shapes, and forms. First of all, notice Paul didn't even know, or well, it's not clear. It's not indicated that Paul was fully aware of this happening. It could It could have been very well something that's happened that Paul was unaware of. Oh, Paul touched this apron, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I admire him so much here, take his apron or take his handkerchief. And then, and then, you know, and then people are communicating the word of God and people are coming to faith and believe in God. And through that, I mean, certainly we know Paul didn't make profit. Certainly we know. So whether or not he was aware of it is one thing, but we know he wasn't making, he wasn't advocating. He wasn't commanding people to do this. And he certainly wasn't making profit off of it. But again, it's not Paul that's healing. It's not the handkerchiefs that are as a magical item healing people. It was God. People were coming to know. So it's like almost like it's like having a, something. So, like I wrote, like, say, so like you, you went to like a, an evangelistic meeting and you were touched. And you went to the gift shop and you bought yourself like a pencil to remember it. That pencil is special because it reminds you of the faith that you came to know Jesus Christ. And that's a significant thing. You, you, maybe you keep it in your Bible for a long time. And every time you looked at it, you remembered how when you came to know God, God healed you from your sins. That's what, how I think of these, eight, these. They weren't intrinsically magical. They didn't glow with an aura, okay? But what it is, they were, they were icons. They pointed to something greater. And, and yeah, the miracle did happen. I'm not discounting the fact that miracles do happen. But it wasn't because of the aprons or the handkerchiefs. It was because of God. And what God was doing, these extraordinary miracles, the words here, if you put the word extraordinary, God did extraordinary things or miracles, it means he was doing no small or ordinary tasks. So again, these aren't the things that we expect to be normal. are the ordinary things that God was doing at the time. Next slide, please. So we go on and see other people trying to emulate it, and they do it wrong. How? Because they're putting emphasis on things that aren't God, which, as we know, is idolatry. It's idol worship. We, it's naughty, naughty, naughty. And so some Jews, in verse 13, went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, who thought they were demon possessed. So it's like, this is cool. Paul's doing it. Jesus' people are doing it. Let's do it, too, and show them how we can do this. It's a matter of, you know, science or supernaturalism or whatever. Let's just do what they do. If they could do it, we could do it. So they go around and they, and they try to cast spells. They even try to provoke the, or invoke the name of Jesus Christ like it's a spell. Again, no, no, that's not what we see here. Handkerchiefs are magic items and, 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 and preaching and healing in the name of Jesus Christ isn't a spell. So that's what they're trying to do. They would say in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, you know, I command you to come out like it's a spell. Abracadabra, hocus pocus. And there's these clowns. There's seven of them. There's seven sons of Scevia or Scevo. Um, He was a Jewish chief priest. And they were doing this. Um, One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? Again, first of all, we're dealing with a a real spiritual reality. Spiritual, and tampering with spiritual things, darker light, whatever it may be, can be potentially dangerous because it's a reality. It's like playing with live wires, if you will, in the spiritual sense. Be careful, okay? These guys didn't know what they were doing, and they will literally get their butts kicked because of it, Okay? So, But they come trying to provoke an incantation, a magical spell of sorts. And these demons, or this demon who has possessed this man, said to him, listen, I know Jesus Christ. Evil spirits, even demons, know about God and Jesus informatively. They're aware of of their power and existence. But they don't know God like we know God in an intimate sense. Because they hate God. They despise God. They know of God. They're familiar with God. They know what God looks like. They know what he's all about. But they hate God. They resist God. Okay? So we know Jesus. And we know about Paul. Because Paul is associated with Jesus. But we don't know you. And so because of that, these guys didn't have the power of God. See, the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. He's the access to God's great power. And that's how Paul was able to be so successful in his ministry, is because he knew God through Jesus Christ. He properly knew God by having a proper relationship through Jesus. He wasn't just using his name. He wasn't utilizing Jesus. He knew Jesus. Paul knows God and his great power because of his personal relationship with Jesus. But these seven sons of Sceva did not know Jesus. And so, therefore, they did not know God. So they're playing with the power of that They shouldn't be playing with. It's like hanging. It's like playing with wires without having the basic knowledge of electricity. You're going to get yourself hurt. The evil spirits they know, like I said, of Jesus, and God informatively, and they knew Paul because of his association with Jesus, but they despise him. So what? What was the result? They didn't have the, the full protection of God, and then the men who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating. That they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Next slide, please. And then verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Uh, the name of the Lord was held in high honor. And that's, that's, that's why I, I labeled this slide or titled this slide. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you know that when we're dealing with God, we're dealing with a great power, OK, we're dealing with a supreme being who is on the uncaused cause. There's everything in this world has an origin, has a beginning. God does not. He is such a fantastic power that it should boggle our minds. We don't just play with him. We don't just play with his power. When we see his power manifested in a genuine way, it should cause us to be seized with fear and to give him and his son, Jesus Christ, great, high honor. It's almost like thinking, oh, I'm going to play with this. And then you get hurt really bad. And you go, I'm not doing that no more. That should be the kind of fear we have of God. But it's good to get bitten by God's power. Why? Because it's what begins the process of understanding who God is. If your sin wakes you up and you go, whoa, God is holy and I'm a total mess up. And when you have that taste of God's power and God's goodness, it should startle you so much. Give you such great fear that you go, I don't want to cross God ever. I need to get right with God. There we go. You're on the right path. Now you're starting to begin to understand, have wisdom. Many of those who believed Again, they're shocked. They're shocked. They're, they're starting to believe because they've seen the power of God and they're freaked out. And he came and openly confessed what they have done. Again, confessing. Isn't this not Christianity 101? It's what we have been learning since even back in the days of Matthew. He came and he, he, John said, Repent. It's about recognizing your sin and turning from it. That's what Christianity is all about. And then Jesus, of course, he gives the offer of forgiveness because of his work on the cross. Now we walk in his spirit. That's what we're talking about, disciples of Christ. So they're, they're starting to be aware of their sin because of the great power of God, and they're starting to believe and confessing what they've been doing. What do they mean confessing? Well, this is how I've sinned, this I've gone wrong. I need to change. So again, we prayed earlier today about. A newness. A big part of that is to reject the old ways of the flesh, to turn away from these things, to repent, to confess. A number who had practiced sorcery again. So those cloths isn't about those aprons. It's not about sorcery and scrolls and magical items because these things, if they were, they would be burnt up with the other items being burnt up here in verse nineteen twenty. So the, all this witchcraft, the sorcery, they're, they're bringing these things together. And they're, and, they're, and they're burning them publicly. And this is a great cost, by the way, guys. When they calculate, like I see Graham with this calculator. I I'm verifying my information. When they calculate the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now, drachma is a daily wage. It's a wage you would make if you worked a day, okay? Let's just look at this real quick. I have the information down here, and Graham's verifying it for me. So, 50,000 That's 50,000 daily wages. Okay? That's nearly 137 years of salaries. Or over 191 if you take in consideration only working days. So if you take a life of a person and you subtract the days off, that's 191 life years, basically. Okay? Because you really only, the average is 261 according to my research, 261 working days. If you, you know what I'm saying? If you eliminate all the days off, you actually work 261 days a year. So it's 191 years of daily wages. In 2016, it's estimated that, that, that the average income for per person is 27,600 um, pounds. Okay? That's pounds. I should have put pounds, but I didn't. Which works out to about 105 pounds a day in 75 pence. When taking into consideration non working days, which again is 261, this would be the equivalent of nearly 5.29 million pounds by today's standards. So they hung out and burnt all these wonderful items of magic. The value was 5.29 million. Now I could see someone saying this is inefficient. Certainly we can sell these on. I mean it's it's okay if you don't like it but someone else can value it somewhere else. <coughs> no, I think something needs to be said here. I think what needs to be said here is this stuff's nonsense. Okay? Yeah, I might be done with it, but I don't know if I in good judgment. I don't, I don't think I can in good I don't think I'd feel right just giving this or selling it to eBay. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think this needs to be destroyed because I think it's worthless and I don't want to deceive other people. So they burnt it. And in this way, the word of the Lord, because of this burning of evil, of idols, basically of false powers, because of the destruction of these things, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Um, In verse 21, next slide, there's a little little map we haven't seen in many weeks. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. So now he's going to lay out a plan. This is what we want to do. So from Ephesus, Paul wants to return back to Jerusalem, but he wants to continue his journey. He wants to check up the churches through Macedonia and and Echia, all the way down to Corinth. So very much so he wants to go back and visit these churches that he's planted and, and see how they're doing. And then after that, he, he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And then after Jerusalem, he wants to go further. He wants to actually make his way to Rome. And that's what we see here in 20, verse 21 and, and 22. So then he sent his helpers, Timothy. We know about Timothy. We read a lot about him. And Erastus. Um, again, a little mini bio I put down here. Because it's nice to get to know some of these people that we're coming in contact with. Erastus, his name means beloved. He was one of the attendants or traveling companions of Paul. Um, who, with Timothy, was sent forward Macedonia. He probably, um, this is the same um, Erastus who is mentioned in the Salutations to Timothy, found in Second Timothy. Erastus might be the same guy, might be a different guy, uh, chamberlain, a rather public treasurer of Corinth. So, again, they were going that way, so maybe it's the same guy who was one of the early converts to Christianity. Maybe he, Paul met him in Corinth and he traveled with him back to Jerusalem. Damascus, and then back to Ephesus. Maybe he went back, because remember when, after he left Corinth, Paul went to Ephesus just for a brief time, so maybe he stayed there, and maybe Paul's returning. I don't know. But to tradition he, uh, of the Greek church, he was the first treasurer of the church of Jerusalem, and afterwards, bishop of Pineus. But so there's a little information about him. But regardless, um, you know, he, he, he sent these two helpers, to Macedonia ahead of him uh, while he stayed in the providence of Asia which is the red bits on the right for just a little bit longer next slide now what we saw with uh, and then we're going to conclude in the next few slides we're almost done guys what we saw there with that mass economic destruction of, the, of, of distracting items What's we'll us call them distracting items they were evil but they were useless. They were a power that wasn't of God if they had any power at all. But, but they were distracting things. And people decide, let's just get rid of these things and focus on the real power, which is God. Not everyone gets excited about these things, by the way. It, it, it's, it's an unpopular thing when you make such bold statements. And when God's moving in your life, in the life of other people, sometimes people get a little bit jealous. They get a little bit upset. Not everyone is happy when God this spiritual renovation in people's lives, okay? And I use the word spiritual renovation and not revival because I like it better. Revival implies falling away from the Lord and coming back. Well, renovation talks about just a renewing. It's like when you renovate your house, it, you, know, you take it apart and put it back together again, basically, in a better way. That's what God does to our lives. It takes it apart and puts it back better. So in verse 23, about that time, there rose a great disturbance about the way, yes, that church in Ephesus, that dodgy church, what they like, a silversmith named Demetrius. So think about what he does with a trade, a silversmith. Okay? Again, if you touch someone's pocketbook, they get really upset, don't they? The silversmith. What does silversmith make? Well, we'll see in a moment. He made silver shrines of Artemius. Does not you pronounce Artemius. Artemis, thank you, Artemis, brought in a lot of business, okay, brought in a lot of business, again, a businessman, money, don't touch my money, man, for craftsmen there, so lucrative businessman, he called them together, a little union meeting, along with the workers in related trades, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see in here how this fellow, Paul, has convinced and led astray Convince and let us straight. such You know what I'm saying? Such a, such a such an emotive way of talking, you know. People, aren't are people allowed to make choices? Don't we have a freedom of choice? Well, no, we don't. Because people don't like when we make choices that affect them. So there will be consequences to our choices sometimes. And and people used to buy into their business. but Now they're not because they're realizing they don't need to buy in the business. Because God doesn't need that stuff. So, but according to him, Paul's leading people astray. A large number of people here in Ephesus, and practically the whole providence of Asia. He says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And yeah, Paul probably did say that, and Paul's right. We know that. That's, a, that's like we said, that's, that's an Old Testament principle. You don't make any idols. Don't do it. Don't do it. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't do it. Verse 30, 27. There's a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess, Artemis? Artemis. Artemis, will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province. Oh, poor lassie, won't be worshipped no more. So here we have two concerns. I call one the primary concern, which is the heart of the matter. This is the reason why they're adjourning or they're getting together. The reason why they're meeting and they're not just meeting a few, but they got a whole mob together Is because the the primary concern, which is I underlined, the danger that our trade will lose its good name. Basically, they'll lose money, they'll lose business. That's the primary concern. That's the heart of the matter. The secondary concern is the justification. But this is what we're going to say we're going to say, oh, we need to preserve our culture and our heritage, right? The real problem is they don't want to be out of the money and the opportunity. But the justification is, we got to preserve our culture and heritage. Next slide. So I predict a ride here, boys and girls. Acts 19.28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis, or Artemis of, of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city will be in an uproar. The people seize Gaius and, and Aristarchus, Gaius, by the way, Gaius, again, they, there's a small biography. They're mentioned in other places as well. Um, in fact, Gaius, I remember him very specifically because, you know, uh, not only was he mentioned by Paul, I think, in Romans and I think in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians as well, but also remember John, beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. He wrote three epistles. He wrote his gospel, right? But also wrote three epistles. His third epistle was written for Gaius. It was written specifically to him. And he spoke highly of them. So these are some pretty right-on guys here. Um, the other guy, I think he went to Colossae, which again, remember sent him to Macedonia. Colossae, I think, it was in Macedonia. No, it was in Asia. it's just, just up of where they are here in Ephesus. Because um, he's mentioned in that in Colossae, or Colossians as well as Philemon, which is a phila in Colossae. Anyways, I digress. So these are Paul's traveling companions, some right-on guys from Macedonia, Um, and all of them rushed into the theater together. So theater isn't a place you would go like this. It was a public meeting hall again. It's a place where you would have philosophical discussions and debates, but you also would have drama and theater like you would expect. Also, it would be places where you'd make political, um, politicians would go to speak. So it would be a big public arena. Paul wanted to appear before the crowds, He wanted to argue. He goes, hey, listen, this is my opportunity to preach. But the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of Providence, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. So we have a proper mob mentality. It was just chaos. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. (laughs) Why are we here? I don't know. Get our pitchforks. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front And they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So again, it's a clash of cultures, a clash of heritage, a clash of bigotry and religion and culture and ethnicity. And you know what I'm saying? It's just a big... Fat clash, just a, such a problem, but I love how it was diffused. Last slide here, I do promise this is the last slide, and I title this one sorry to burst your bubble, but I like how he handles it. The city clerk quietly, quieted the crowd and said, "Fellow Ephesians, 't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the garden of the temple of the great? Artemis. Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven. Come on, we know this. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blaspheming. You don't have any evidence against these guys. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, we have our, you know, we we have our due procedures, right? The courts are open. And there are pro They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with writing because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to count for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. How to defuse situation. We have our, we have our ways of settling it. This is not. In fact, if you continue doing this, we're all going to be in big trouble. Because we have to answer to Rome for our conduct. Oh, so what's going on here? Yeah. So you're you're causing not just trouble for yourselves and for these people, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there's a way to do it. And if you want to do it, do it the right way. And I reckon once they realize there's no real charge against Paul in the way, they probably all went home sore. Last slide. So there's more we're gonna look at obviously as we work work our way through Acts and and the exciting adventures of Paul and Ephesus and other places. But we're going to leave this right now. Like I said, there's not much in the way of application, so I didn't put my points. And plus, I knew it was going to be over a little bit today because I wanted to to deal with that chunk of Scripture, which I think it works well together. It's hard to divide those things up. So um, I hope and I pray that in today's discussion, there was or sermon. It's not really a discussion because you guys sat there quietly. But in today's sermon, that that the God spoke to your hearts about something. I don't know if it has to do with maybe, um, you know, maybe you're encouraged by Paul's bravery and maybe you're encouraged by the rightness of the matter. And you were discouraged by the wrongness of the matter. And I don't know, maybe it was about like what you put your trust and faith in. I mean, if you happen to worship handkerchiefs, stop, and worship God instead. I, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of things we can use to apply, but hopefully God spoke to you today and and and, and, and you were encouraged. Um, but again, let's just be encouraged. It's 2017. Let's think about what God wants us to do as a church, as individuals this year.